The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Monday, June 27, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds, And Leaky Black, David Cobb is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube or later on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And as you know, late last week, we officially put the 2022 NBA draft uh, in the rearview mirror. For the uh, 13th straight year, a college freshman uh, was the number one pick. This time, Paulo Bancaro. Uh, But six of the 14 lottery picks were prospects who spent at least two years playing college basketball. They were Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin, Johnny Davis, Jalen Williams, and Ochai Abaji. So with this in mind, I wanted to start this episode with a, a conversation about which multi-year college players could turn into lottery picks next year, which is a honestly a tough conversation to have because even though multi-year college players do become lottery picks like literally every year, uh, they're typically difficult to identify 12 months out. If they were easy to identify 12 months out, they would have probably just been in the NBA draft. Like the Paulo Bencaros, the Chet Holmgrens, those are easy to identify 12 months out. Uh, we already know uh, Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot Henderson are going to be lottery picks next year. Uh, but which players did we just watch play in college and who are returning to college, You know which players could join them in the lottery next year? David Cobb, he put together a list in recent days. You can find it at cbssports.com. So let me ask you this. If you had to bet 10 paychecks on which non-freshman college player will be a lottery pick next year, where would you place your money? Well, obviously, Leaky Black is number one. But after Leaky Black, uh, I think I'd probably go Chris Murray because his identical twin – Uh, just went in the lottery. And Chris Murray is a similar player. They're not the same player. I don't necessarily believe that Chris Murray is going to average, you know, 23.6 points a game or whatever it was that Keegan averaged this past year at Iowa. But he's a versatile 6'8 forward who can do a whole lot offensively and who can guard pretty much one through five on the defensive end. And clearly that was attractive with Keegan Murray. Now with uh, Keegan Murray departing, Chris Murray is going to have a huge year for Iowa next year, you know, Bohannon's finally gone as well. So a good bit of their offense is, is departing. And so that's going to open up the door for Chris Murray to probably be a 16, 17 points per game type of guy for Iowa next season. And yes, he'll be old. He'll be, I think 23 opening night next year, but, or yeah, I guess 23, whenever he would play his first NBA game. So he's old, but like that didn't stop him from taking Keegan, uh, really high in the draft either. So I, I think Chris Murray is a is a uh, pretty safe bet potentially to go in the first round next year. 
He's certainly a reasonable place uh, to start the list, or at least a reasonable person to put on uh, a list when you're looking for uh, multi-year college players who could be uh, lottery picks. You know, shot nearly 40% from three um, on 3.2 attempts per game. So he's, uh, you know, 6'8", got good size, uh, you know, a reliable shooter. Uh, one of the issues, and as you know, this isn't an issue for me as much as it is for other people, but I acknowledge it is an issue for other people, including people who run NBA franchises. He turns 22 in August, like you said, um, would be 23 on opening night of his rookie season. Now, Ochai Abaji just got picked um, in the lottery, and he's already 22 years old. Um, you know, uh, Keegan Murray uh, will be 22 on opening night uh, of his rookie season. So, it's not a deal breaker if you're, you know, 22, uh, 21, uh, that you can't possibly go in the lottery. But it is something that that often works against you. Some history, real quick. Uh, I went and looked this up in the past five NBA drafts. An average of four point two lottery picks per year have been prospects who spent at least two seasons playing college basketball. You had three in uh, in three lottery picks in two thousand eighteen. Six in 2019, six in 2020, four in 2021, um, six in this uh, 2022 NBA draft. So even though I think you and I might struggle to come up with the six guys we're sure are going to be lottery picks uh, who spent multiple years in college next year, like these these players will uh, emerge. They just do. Uh, uh, you know, over the past five years at least three in every lottery and as many as six on average 4.2. By the way, the number one pick, like I said, has been a college freshman 13 straight years. Trivia time. Who was the last non-freshman to go number one? The last non-freshman to go number one would have been, oh gosh, yeah, that's tough. Um, that that is That is tough. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, forfeit my right to, to to answer this question. What's the answer? Blake Griffin in 2009, and, uh-huh. and but he is the guy who you could actually project a year in advance that he would be a lottery pick because he would have been a lottery pick if he left after his freshman season. He just came back to school, so he's a, a bit of an exception to the rule because these days most lottery picks, um, projected lottery picks, do not come back to school. Um, only two multi-year college players. This sort of surprised me. Only two multi-year college players have gone number one in this century. Blake Griffin in 2009, Kenyon Martin in 2000. That's it. Everybody wow. else has been an international player or um, a one and done. It's also um, crazy that somebody who was drafted in this century already has a child playing in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so getting old. Um, time flies and, and all that stuff. I, I went through your list of guys you thought had a chance to become lottery picks. And I know this sounds crazy given what we've seen of him over the past year, but I think if I were going to bet on somebody, I'd probably go with Amani Bates just because I still like the talent is still there. Uh, The stuff that made him a projected lottery pick, at least in theory before that disastrous season at Memphis like that stuff's still there. He's still only 18, doesn't turn 19 till January. He's still, you know, a, a long skilled shot making wing. Um, obviously, like everybody else in the world, I think less of him today than I did uh, a year ago today. But it, it, I'm not somebody who doesn't think 
there's any chance whatsoever Armani Bates regains a good portion of his reputation. Still trying to figure out what he's going to do over the next year. Um, play college basketball, not play college basketball. If he plays college basketball, where is returning to Memphis um, legitimately on the table? Like some have speculated um, that 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 it is. Uh, but if you told me we're going to look up in January and Amani Bates is a meaningful college basketball player and reestablish himself as a as a legitimate lottery prospect, that wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to me. Not at all. Look at Peyton Watson going number 30 in this past draft out of UCLA. Very much a tools pick, an upside pick, and was less productive in his one season of college basketball than Amani Bates was last season. So with another year of college basketball under his belt, I can still see Amani Bates going in the lottery. Let me ask you this. Did you, if Amani Bates had been draft eligible uh, last week, do you think he would have been taken? Maybe in the second round. I don't think he would have been taken in the first round. I, I don't see how you could give him guaranteed money um, on a rookie scale. But I, I could see somebody just saying, what else are we going to do with the 38th pick? Like, who else are we getting with this? But let's just go ahead and take Amani Bates. I could have, I think he'd have been picked. I would be skeptical that it would have been in 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 the first round. Yeah, I, I think Amani Bates should do G League Ignite because if he goes to Louisville or he goes to Michigan or he comes back to Memphis, he's signing up for the same experience he just went through, which is being under the microscope at all times, which is having every possession uh, scrutinized heavily, which is those expectations which he's had for the last five years continuing to follow him as he plays on national TV multiple days per week and plays in front of tens of thousands of fans in some cases, G League Ignite takes away all the frills. Still gets him a paycheck. It gets him a chance to develop outside that scrutiny, outside that pressure, outside that microscope. And it's a place where he can really just work on his game without having to deal with everything that Imani Bates has had to deal with for the last five or six years. And so to me, that feels like the most natural place for him because he's not going to have a coach who tries to pigeonhole him into a certain role to fit the team need. He's going to be in a program that sole purpose is preparing him for the next level. So you look at guys like F.A. Abogidi, who plays a year at Washington State, then goes G League Ignite. What That seems weird, but why can't Amani Bates do the same thing? Because it doesn't seem to me like college basketball is really going to be all that beneficial of an experience for him. It's a totally reasonable option. If I were in the Bates camp, so to speak, I would certainly explore that. The only thing I would insist on is he's got to do something, and he's got to do something legitimate. Um, you know, Maybe his dad can make a college. Uh, yeah, like you can't do that. Um, or you know, Eastern Michigan uh, has has been connected on some level. With all due respect, I think he's got. If he were, if he hadn't just damaged his stock so badly um, in his one year at Memphis, then I would say do whatever you want because your 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 reputation is still intact. But he was so bad, I mean, and bad in a lot of different ways um, at, at Memphis that he's got to. He can't do a shade and sharp and just say, "Oh, I'm a projected first round pick. I'll just sit it out and somebody will pick me in the first round next year." He's got to go prove himself against, I think, in a legitimate league and against legitimate competition. I don't care where that is, but I think that's what he has to do. Um, and, and the G League Ignite would give him an opportunity to do that. And, and you know, being able to work, as John Morant might say, in the dark, 
um, mm-hmm. could, could be beneficial for him. Like, um, y- yes, everybody who needs to see him from a we have the power to take you perspective will we'll see plenty of Amani Bates if he were to be in the G League Ignite program. But like we wouldn't be talking about him. Um, you know, your you, casual college basketball fans or basketball fans in general wouldn't be watching him. Nobody, nobody really watches that stuff. And so um, it, it, it makes sense to me, but he, he does have to do something. He has to, whatever he does the next year, he has to be surrounded by legitimate, comparable talent or, or, or at least be in a league with comparable talent, um, uh, legitimate NBA players, and he's got to perform. Otherwise, he, he will not you know, get picked next year because you can still give somebody the benefit of the doubt after one bad year under unusual circumstances, reclassified, got to campus late, didn't have the normal summer prep that a college freshman would, got you know just the whole uh spectacle that it that it was sometimes over the past year the Memphis basketball program like I, I can write off some of this stuff as boy it was just a you they were really trying to make something work that was going to have a hard time working but if you're bad for two straight years well then you're probably you know you're, you're probably just bad like um there are such things as breakthrough sophomore seasons Jay Nivey had one Keegan Murray had one Johnny Davis had one um, but they were all at least respectable like good as freshmen and then really broke through as sophomores um, you know breakthrough junior seasons and breakthrough senior seasons for prospects those are a little a little less common and J- so, Jake Laravia Jake Laravia <laughs> would like a word with you he's a, he's a great example I, like uh, what the heck man never would have seen him on the top you know, wouldn't have even considered ranking him in the top 100 transfers, and then he breaks out. So, I mean, you never know. A lot of it depends on where Amani Bates would end up. I don't think Louisville is a great fit because they need another guard. And I'm like, we saw Amani Bates with the ball in his hands as a primary facilitator at Memphis. You know, he was trying to be that next Penny Hardaway, right? Penny was a tall point guard and was going to kind of shepherd that part of Amani Bates' game, and it really didn't work. And so I see a, a Louisville roster really in need of, of a ball handler and a guard, and I don't know if that's what you want Amani Bates to be doing next season if you're trying to showcase his game for NBA scouts. So it, it, even if he does go the college route, I feel like he's got to be real careful about the route that he chooses. I mean, Michigan seems like a reasonable fit because he could just go there and – kind of be a guy and and they've got other talent around them. There wouldn't be a ton expected of him. It seems to me like he could go there, play, play between 19 and 25 minutes a night um, more as an off ball type of player and maybe work on that outside shot a little bit and maybe take on more of a three and D role. That t- to me, if he's going to stay in the college game, seems like the more beneficial route rather than, Hey, Monty, you're the guy with the ball in your hands for us. We're trying to make the sweet 16 this year and uh, good luck, you know? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think he needs to be the best player, the perceived best player on a team, because um, I don't know that he's good enough, or, or at least he he didn't show it last season that he was good enough to be that. Uh, I don't really want the ball in his hands. You know, let's let's keep it simple. You're um, a wing with size who can shot create and shot make. Let's do that stuff. Let's get awesome at that stuff, and then <laughs> you know, we'll worry about trying to be a six eight point guard another time, um, because that whole. What's interesting about that, because when he enrolled at Memphis, that was the idea. And then like they abandoned that for the most part within 
two weeks of practices. It wasn't even like they got to the games and they realized he can't play point guard. It was like it was just obvious in the gym. Like this is not what he's capable of doing right now. So I'd get back to playing to his strengths. Like what are the things that made him one of the most 15-year-olds, one of the best 15-year-old prospects in recent history, 16-year-old prospects in recent history, 17-year-old prospects in recent history? You know, what, what are the things that he did to establish himself as a, you know, legitimate five-star prospect? Get back to doing those things and get back to doing them um, consistently. And then maybe you can get back to to showing up in the lottery of, of mock drafts. But right now, um, I think most 2023 drafts would have him somewhere bottom of the first, um, early second. But again, he's so young and so talented that he's, he's got an opportunity to to improve on all that stuff. Some other guys that... If you're looking for multi-year college players who could, you know, over the next year develop into uh, lottery picks, uh, you mentioned Marcus Bagley at Arizona State, who is talented but just has barely played, and so um, that's a, re- a, a, a an interesting name to to, to keep an eye on. Um, Matthew Cleveland at Florida State's, I think, a good name just because you know he's a former five-star prospect who certainly uh, fits the. Uh, you know, it falls under the description of guys who you could see having like real breakthrough, you know, next seasons. Nolan Hickman at Gonzaga, you Tyrese Hunter as an honorable mention on your list. Um, Caleb Love out of North Carolina, uh, you know, um, Terquavion Smith out of NC State, Julian Strother out of Gonzaga, Jalen Wilson out of Kansas. I, I, again, I know a lot of these sound. There's no way that guy could become a lottery pick. But if we were doing this a year ago and I said Johnny Davis at Wisconsin, you'd have been like, what? How is Johnny Davis going to be a lottery pick? What are you talking about? And that's why, whether it's your list or anybody else's list, I don't say absolutely not to any of them. Because if we'd had this conversation last year and you said Johnny Davis at Wisconsin, I would have said absolutely not. That's crazy. Or Jalen Wilson out of Santa Clara, absolutely not. That's silly. And and yet these are guys who just developed into lottery picks. The other ones who did, uh, Keegan Murray was on NBA radars like that. That I wouldn't have predicted lottery, or certainly not top five, but first round pick maybe lottery. Yeah, that seemed possible. Jaden Ivey, I think people could see. Benedict Matherin, maybe a little harder to see, but like you, nothing crazy. Like he at least six six athlete. Like you start there, you're in a pretty good spot. Um, and Oche Abaji, I could see that one. Maybe I wouldn't have predicted lottery, but it wasn't hard to envision maybe just maybe lottery. But Johnny Davis, Jalen Williams, those were the, the yeah. big surprises. Everybody would have said no way a year ago. So I'm not going to say no way to anybody because that's a good way to to end up on old takes exposed for the yeah, 50,000th well, time. And then look at later in the first round of this draft. You got uh, Dale and Terry at 18. I mean, as recently as a month ago, first round seemed a little bit unlikely for him. He obviously was a late riser, but not somebody who really pops to sit statistically or even showed a whole lot as a freshman to make you think first round pick. Uh, Walker Kessler. I mean, I was really high on him in the transfer rankings, but I don't, I don't think there was a ton of certainty about his game from an NBA standpoint as he was transferring out from North Carolina to Auburn after barely playing, you know, as a true freshman. And then uh, you know, Wendell Moore Jr. went in the first round as well. So a lot of these guys I'm looking at, you know, and I'm seeing maybe mid to late first round possibilities as well, because you do really have to break through, I feel like, to get into the top 10 as a multi-year college player. And I think some of these guys could. I think Jalen Wilson 
is somebody in my mind who could be in line for that massive leap next year because you're talking about the leading returning scorer for the defending national champions. And with Christian Brown gone, with Ochai Agbaji gone, they're not bringing in a ton of like ultra elite talent. Like this is going to be another Bill Self team that isn't one and done oriented. And so he's going to be a guy who's got a chance to shine. And I, I think if Jalen Wilson improves his three point shooting from about 30% for his career so far to say, you know, say he shoots 36, 37% next year as a versatile six, eight guy, I definitely could see him going in the lottery. So if you haven't seen the list yet, you can find it at CBSSports.com. Some candidates, multi-year college players who could um, develop into lottery picks for the 2023 NBA draft. David Cobb uh, posted it um, just after the 2022 NBA draft was was wrapped up. The matchups for the ACC Big Ten Challenge have been set. We're going to run through those next. But first, a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the matchups for the ACC Big Ten Challenge have been set. Let me run you through them real quickly. Um, on Monday, November 28th, we got two games. It'll be Minnesota at Virginia Tech, Pitt at Northwestern. Um, on Tuesday, November 29th, Syracuse at Illinois, Maryland at Louisville, Penn State at Clemson, Virginia at Michigan, Wake Forest at Wisconsin, Georgia Tech at Iowa, and then Wednesday, November 30th, uh, we get uh, Purdue at, at Florida State, Ohio State at Duke, Rutgers at Miami, North Carolina at Indiana, Michigan State at Notre Dame, Boston College at Nebraska. So we've got a, a couple of matchups featuring two teams that are ranked in the preseason top 25 and one. That's number 24, Ohio State at number five, Duke. And then the biggest, uh, and this is the best matchup I think we could have possibly gotten, uh, number two, North Carolina at number 16, Indiana, because that is the team I think is going to be the preseason favorite in the ACC against the team I believe is going to be the preseason favorite in the Big Ten. What do you make of these matchups? Anything stand out to you? Uh, I love UNC at Indiana. It's just got a, a lot of prestige to it. You think about from a coaching standpoint, too, the a former NBA guys back at their alma maters, like you know Mike Woodson and Hubert Davis, like those guys are just like – the the symbols of their of their basketball programs on multiple levels and so that's that's a really fun coaching matchup you really think indiana is going to be the preseason favorite to win the big 10 i think so i mean based on what they're bringing back and what they're bringing in um i I have them uh, i guess i'll put it this way i have them as my highest ranked uh big 10 team in the top 25 and one i've got indiana at 16 um purdue at 22 
Uh, Michigan at 19, Ohio State at 24, Michigan State at 25. So it's close. Um, I've got a bunch of Big Ten teams sort of, you know, uh, you know, slotted pretty re- reasonably close to each other, you know, from from 16 to 25. And then Illinois, um, th- that's a team I don't have in my top 25 and one that Illinois fans remind me of all all the time. Um, but but certainly, you know, they, they don't bring back much from last year's roster. But, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a talented freshman or the transfer portal, you know, they, they brought in a they've got an interesting roster that could develop into clearly has the potential to develop into a top 25 team. Do you think the reason that Mike Woodson and his staff haven't taken any transfers is because they can't load the portal on their phones or their or their computers? <laughs> I don't. I don't know the uh, exp- explanation for that. The, the internet is working in Indiana, um, so I think once Trace Jackson Davis announced he was coming back to school, the internet kicked into high gear again in the state of Indiana. So I'm happy for, for those folks to be able to have uh, you know high speed uh, connections, uh, and then you know we'll see we'll ha- we'll see how the season goes. But I do think on paper, Indiana looks like you know, a slight favorite in the Big Ten, sure. I dig it. I dig it, man. I love the Ray Thompson, Trace Jackson, Davis front court. They've been together forever now, and I feel like they just need a chance to shine on the second weekend of the NCAA tournament because they're a fun duo. They're both just they guys that play really, really hard. I wish for the life of me that the Indiana staff would kind of cultivate and put in some stuff for, for TJD to hit some outside shots. The thing that worries me a little bit about Indiana is, Kind of like last year's Gonzaga team, with you look at a uh, uh, Salas and uh, who was the other the other freshman guard, but um, Nolan Hickman. Uh, you know, Indiana is going to be relying on two freshman guards, and they're really highly touted prospects, but they're not like in that top ten can't miss like definitely a future lottery pick range. You know, it's Hood Chilfino and Malik Reno, and they're both five star guys, but like. You know, Christian Lander was a five-star guy too, and that didn't really work out. And guard play's kind of been that that bugaboo for for Indiana. So I I love the roster. I think the tools are there. I just I feel a little iffy on predicting them to win the Big Ten when you might be relying pretty heavily on two freshman guards. I really like Huchifino, like a lot. I'm I'm a believer in him. Uh, the point you make is is a fair one, but like I think he's going to be really good right from the jump. I I I, I like what I saw. And it was just on the EYBL circuit. And he played for Team Thad here in Memphis. Uh, so I went to a practice one day and watched him work out. And it was really clear, like, that's the best guy on on the court. You know, when, when in, in practices when they were scrimmaging, like, if you didn't know anything about anything, you walk in and you go, okay, that's the guy running. That's the guy running this thing. And I'll give his grassroots coach, Norton Hurd, um, a lot of credit. Because at the time, he was Hood Chafino, like a four-star guy. And he was like, after Peach Jam, he'll be a five-star guy. Watch. He goes, when people see him again, he'll he'll be a consensus five-star guy. And and that is exactly what happened. He was really good on the EYBL circuit, really good at Peach Jam. And then I think, if I remember correctly, I think he got COVID at Peach Jam and had to miss like the like it, that was it. Like he performed there, and then it was like over. You know, his just his grassroots career was just over uh, thanks to a positive COVID test. But I'm a big believer in him. When they got him, I thought that was huge. And, and I think he'll be really good. Um, one of the things that I don't want to say it bugs me because it really doesn't matter to me too much anymore. But one of the things I've always thought the ACC Big Ten Challenge should include from a maximizing coverage perspective, because, you know, you always hear from, you know, 
people who work in league offices, you know, when they're talking, you know, if you're in conversations with them, it's like, hey, you, you're going to try to make it to Duke Carolina game or, you know, you, you're going to be on the road for this. You come to Champions Classic, that kind of stuff. Um, it, I've, I've always thought it would be really smart. And I've made this point years ago. It'd be really smart if they scheduled Duke and North Carolina to play home games uh, one year, but make it the same year. And then alternate that with Michigan, Michigan State playing home games together on, on, on back-to-back nights. In other words, every year, Duke and North Carolina should play at home, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. And then in the, in the, fo- in the following year, Michigan and Michigan State should play home games on Tuesday and Wednesday. That way, if you're a national writer, you can fly into Raleigh and go to a Duke ACC Big Ten Challenge game on a one night and a North Carolina ACC Big Ten Challenge game the next night. And in, a, in the different year, you can fly into Detroit, I guess, and go to a Michigan Big Ten ACC Challenge game on a Tuesday night and a Michigan State Big Ten ACC Challenge game on a Wednesday night. Uh, they almost never line up like that. But like I would intentionally line them up like that because then – you know, you get people, people right now, like national writers might go, well, I don't know if it's worth going to Indy, uh, going to um, Duke just to see Ohio State Duke. But what if you could see Ohio State Duke on a Tuesday and Indiana at North Carolina on a Wednesday? You might then go, OK, well, I'm, I'm knock out four elite teams uh, in back to back nights with one flight. Let's go do that. I just think that's a missed opportunity, not the biggest deal in the world. And it's possible I'm the only person who cares about it, but it's something I've always thought they should do. I mean, you know, they, they really should call you before they, they finalize these things and, and so. make sure things align with your itinerary before they, they go through and publish them. That's exactly yeah. right. I've always wondered why they don't check with me in, in advance to make sure this is sensible. Like they get the matchups right, um, you know, often, but. I, I think they just miss – if you're trying to get as many media members as possible to your games, having Duke and North Carolina at home in the same year on different nights and Michigan, Michigan State at home in the same year on different nights, um, you know, anybody who would go to one of those games would go to both of those games. And some people who wouldn't go to just one of those games might be compelled to go if you could knock out two games on a Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't know. Just an idea. You can uh, – they can take it or, or, or not take it. But I, you know, I, do, I do I do like the fact that this one is spread out over three days as opposed to the SEC Big 12 challenge, which they all they, they cram into one day. And to their to the credit of the SEC and the Big 12, that does end up being the dominant storyline of that singular particular day in was it usually February in college basketball that Saturday. But I like the idea of spreading spreading it out over over three days at a time when there's not really a whole lot else going on in college basketball because these matchups do end up kind of dominating it. You could probably start out with something a little more appetizing than Minnesota Virginia Tech and right. uh, Pitt Northwestern, but you know I, I get it. Uh, they're going to put you know the games on Monday night that are up against Monday night football on that are you know less attractive. That you, you're not going to put your 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 UNC Indiana game up against Monday night football, you know? Right. Um, I'd maybe put a more attractive game on Monday, but I think they're just trying to maximize um, the two days they have that aren't, you know, going, going head to head against Monday night football. Cause like you and I are going to watch those games, but everybody else is watching football on Monday night. So 
Um, I, 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 I do get why they why Monday is by far uh, the weakest day of the three day ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's interesting. The and correct me if I'm wrong, but the SEC Big Twelve Challenge they haven't been able to make that matter from a who wins it perspective as much as the ACC Big Ten Challenge seems to matter to some. Like that's always a thing heading into the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You know, we might get asked in a dribble handoff. So who who you think's winning it this year? The ACC or the Big Ten? And I don't, I don't, I don't even. I've I've never been asked. I don't think. Who do you think wins this weekend's SEC Big 12 Challenge? I don't even think that's a thing. Well, it's interesting now because literally two of the premier teams in the Big 12 are about to join the SEC. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're coming for you this year, but, but then we're going to join you next year. So it's, it's a little bit of an awkward dynamic there. And then the other thing with the SEC Big 12 Challenge is the SEC has an inherent advantage because on most years, uh, four of their lesser teams aren't participating. And so – with the way they do the schedule, you never know. It could be that one of the teams that gets left out from the SEC side of that event ends up having a surprisingly good team. But for the most part, it's the less attractive teams from the SEC that get scheduled out of that uh, event. And so the Big 12, they have no choice but to put their bottom feeders out there. Granted, the Big 12 doesn't really have any bottom feeders. Uh, you know, it, it certainly didn't last year. So, But I, my point is that the SEC – has a little bit of an advantage there because for the most part, their lesser teams aren't participating. Therefore their chances of taking losses from the, the bottom feeders in their league is, is, is less. And you've seen the sec win at, you know, three out of the last five years. So the sec has done well in that challenge. You know, I, I, and the other thing about the sec big 12 challenge is that I don't know the exact percentages, but it is so dominant. And so leans so much towards the home team last year, the only instance in the 10 games in which the road team won was Kentucky winning at Kansas, which is bizarre in retrospect that that happened in the way it did. I think it was an 18 point margin for Kentucky against the eventual national champions. And that ended up being the game that, that swung it. So it was dramatic last year from that standpoint, but there was really only one good game too. You have to have good finishes for these things to really stand out or pop because if, if they're not close games, they're not going to be in the A block of Sports Center or whatever. You know, they're not going to show highlights on HQ of games that weren't really that close. And honestly, the only close SEC Big 12 challenge game last year was Tennessee, Texas, and there were no highlights. It was awful. It was like a brick fest. So the quality of the games, I feel like, hasn't been as great uh, in the SEC, you know, Big 12 deal. Well, that's another thing that the SEC uh, Big 12 did is. Um... You know they created some interesting matchups like like Tennessee at Texas. You get Rick Barnes going back to Texas. Um, I don't really know what you could do in the uh, ACC Big Ten that that uh, replicates that. Although I would like to see Wake Forest play at Iowa while Steve Forbes is the coach. Like he grew up in Iowa, so taking him back to his home state would be you know a a, a, a cool little story. Um, you mentioned that Kentucky Kansas game. It is wild to think back. North Carolina and Kansas played in the national title game. Kentucky blew both of them out last season. And lost I mean, in the first round. And then lost to St. Peter's in the first round. So, uh, yeah, ACC Big Ten Challenge again. It'll be November 28th, 29th, and the 30th, with the marquee game being North Carolina at Indiana. Before we get out of here, some recruiting news. Five-star point guard Robert Dillingham uh, has committed to the University of Kentucky. You wrote the story on that. What do folks need to know about the latest heralded point guard to 
pledges allegiance to John Calipari. Yeah, it sounds like our our 24-7 partners who have scouted his game pretty thoroughly see an electric scorer, somebody who's really dynamic with the ball in his hand, somebody who can fill it up and just get a ton of buckets. And so, I mean, in in that sense, perhaps the the, the comp that might come to mind uh, recent years, Gilgis Alexander, uh, Dillingham is super slender, uh, like SGA was. uh, Definitely going to need to put on some muscle and such, but – uh, it's a big one for Kentucky because they're their class up to number three uh, at the moment. And it's really just a two member class right now. The other one is uh, uh, Reed Shepard, who's also a five-star kid and a, a legacy, legacy prospect, you know, uh, DJ Wagner is getting all the attention as a legacy prospect who might end up playing somewhere in the bluegrass state. But uh, for those who were watching Kentucky basketball, you know, in the uh, Tubby Smith era, right. Uh, Jeff Shepard's a name they probably remember. And his son is, is with Dillingham in that class. So those are two of the best guards in the class. I mean, I don't know what they're going to add from a big perspective to replace Oscar, but uh, that's a, that's a nice one, two punch. They got there in the backcourt. Um, could I, you know, he was asked about playing with DJ Wagner and said he would love to, <laughs> you know, so I think we'd be, I think we could fit well together and they obviously could because DJ is more of a combo. Um, they, they'd be outstanding together, but uh, I think most people at this point are assuming DJ Wagner is going to follow uh, in his grandfather's footsteps uh, and, and play for Kenny Payne at the University of Louisville, especially since um, you know his grandfather Milt Wagner is is now on staff at the University of Louisville. But you know, as I've said plenty of times over the years, like don't don't count out John Calipari until he's actually like been eliminated from the recruiting process because he's uh, obviously uh, you know got uh, one of the most uh, decorated. Uh, histories of uh, recruiting high-level prospects, especially guards, in in the history of of the sport. What if um, Cal hired Dewan? Like I, I, you know, I I was asked that by somebody. You know, I I think you get to a point where you got to like you get you could really get it. Start complicating the family dynamics <laughs> if granddad's at Louisville, dad's at Kentucky, and now. DJ being pulled in a couple of different directions. I, I don't know how much anybody wants that. Like Wani um, and, and the entire family have done a really like great job of normalizing DJ's amateur career to date. Um, like he doesn't do a lot of press. There's not, um, you know, he's not at some academy. You know, they didn't build something strictly around him the way Imani Bates family did. Right. It's like, you know, Milt went to Camden high and then Wani went to Camden high and now DJ's going to Camden high. Um, like Arthur Barclay, who is Wani's lifelong um, high school, uh, lifelong close, like best friend who played at Memphis with the mm-hmm. who, who, you know, I got, you know, I was the beat writer back when his, the, everybody calls him OG. Um, when OG was on campus, like I keep in touch with him to this day. Like he's still every basically everybody who was involved in Dewan Wagner's recruitment is it's the same people who are involved in in, in DJ Wagner's recruitment. So if they've gone so um, out of their way to keep things as normal as possible for DJ throughout this process, a process that can get really wild in a, in a number of different ways. Um, I think having granddad get hired at Louisville and then dad get hired at Kentucky. And now, you know, you got perhaps different people pulling 
you know, this young phenomenal talent in different directions that just, that gets a little complicated in ways that I don't know the family would want to complicate it. How about the fact that from the class of 2023, the number one prospect in both football and basketball is a third generation legacy uh, name, Arch Manning. I, and, okay. and obviously DJ Wagner. I mean, we'll see. Uh, there is some, some uh, mixed opinions on whether or not, you know, Wagner will actually finish as the number one ranked prospect in the class. I mean, I was talking with Adam Finkelstein and there is some debate there. I mean, Gigi Jackson is, is a guy who's in the running for that as well. And I mean, Justin Edwards, Xavier Booker, two guys that 24 uh, seven has ranked as a 99 like Gigi Jackson and DJ Wagner. So, I mean, it's not a slam dunk, but that is fascinating to me that in both sports, the, likely number one prospect is is a third generation star well we're seeing it more than ever i i think in the nba draft especially but i just think in sports in general like if your parents or one of your parents was a professional athlete you like start way ahead of everybody else you know on yeah. this path of of trying to get there because you probably have great genes let's just start there um but also, like you grew up around it, you know, you're you're like, it's not surprising to me that Charlie Woods is awesome at golf. It would also be surprised. It would almost be surprising to me if he weren't, you know, because like you're Tiger Woods kid. You grew up with a dry, you know, with a practice range in your backyard, got a simulator in the house. Your dad's the all time greatest. You probably had a club in your hand since you were since you could hold anything, like why wouldn't he be awesome at golf? And yeah, but, I mean, by the same token, though, it's no slam dunk because I mean you were the Pele of Horn Lake, and I mean yes. I haven't heard you discuss you know your your, your children being the, the my, Pele of my children. Lake. My children are not the the Pele's of Horn Lake. You know what? Like not to get way off subject, but my little guys, my oldest, he didn't really play sports at all. Like we had him in everything. Like when he was five. Like he's in baseball, he's in football, he's in uh, soccer, and just nothing really took. He just didn't really nothing really grabbed him. Um, but my little guys right now are you know they're they're in baseball and golf. But the pandemic really did like get in the way of that because mm -hmm. we took we took two years away from baseball. Um, uh, you know, for my middle guy, and um, you know, like when you miss two years, like age six and age seven of baseball like that's a big deal now he's back playing now and he, he likes it and, and we're having fun with it but I, I wonder how many like young kids um you know just like you're missing a year at that age can really complicate what you're going to be going forward you know i i played you know once i, I started playing baseball and soccer when i was like four and five and i didn't stop playing until i wasn't good enough to do it anymore and um and and yet we have a whole age group of kids who got in, who's who's had their their development interrupted um so you know right now i would bet uh, my kids do not look like they're going to be the next arch mannings or uh or dj wagner's but but they have fun doing it and and that's it's it's a blast as a parent yeah well to your point you helped me kind of brainstorm a little bit on this story i did before the draft and and you suggested talking to a former front office member for this story about pedigree prospects and I, I hooked up with david mintzberg who used to be the director of scouting sure. for the grizzlies went on to work for uh you know the pistons and the bucks as well and uh so the story is still applicable if you want to go read it it's it's less than 10 days old it was written in advance of the draft but the themes are still relevant 
for, for the DJ Wagners of the world and, and moving forward, because this is only going to become more prevalent. And if you look at the top five picks in this year's draft, Paulo Bancaro, mom played in the WNBA, dad played Division One college football. Chet Holmgren, dad played, you know, high major Division One basketball. Uh, Jabari Smith, dad played in the NBA. Uh, Keegan Murray, father played Division One basketball. And then number five, Jaden Ivey, his mom played in the WNBA, his dad played in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, look at Major League Baseball right now. You know, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, you know, uh, Jack Leiter. He's not in the majors, but, like, was a heralded prospect coming out of Vanderbilt. Like, you know, as someone who watches baseball every night, um, it's wild how often you look up and you go, oh, that's so-and-so's kid. Oh, I remember his father played. Like, that is all over Major League Baseball now. And it's become a real, we've talked about this uh, before, a real priority for front offices. I, I can't speak to NFL front offices so much because I don't know those people, but certainly NBA front offices, um, they do prioritize. Like, what did your mom do? What did your dad do? Um, were, were either of them um, a, a professional athlete? If so, uh, that's a, a good place to start the conversation because – uh, the list of guys who have just been incredible coming from that pedigree is is pretty lengthy at this point. At this point, Steph Curry, great example. Uh, Kobe Bryant, a, a great example. Uh, more recently, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, really good example. So, yeah, I had I had not quite connected the DJ Wagner Arch Manning thing, but it is true. Um, and, and and DJ, you know, in a in less than a year will become a third generation McDonald's all American. And that will be the first family to ever be a, you know, three generations of McDonald's all Americans. It's really an, an awesome, awesome story. And it's, it's just based on my career and how it unfolded. Like, you know, I've, I've known Milt for 20 years now, you know, and, and, and you knew Wannie when he was 17, 18 years old. And, um, I don't know DJ, but, but I've obviously seen him play uh, quite a bit. Like just a few years ago in Vegas when he was really young, you know, it was me and Dewan and and Cal <laughs> all sitting together uh, watching DJ play in a gym in, in, in Vegas. And at that point, everybody just assumed like this is done. DJ is going to Kentucky to play for Cal. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Louisville hires Kenny Payne and Kenny Payne hires Milt Wagner and now it looks like it's flipped the other direction but either way the point uh, uh robert dillingham <laughs> has committed to kentucky and uh that that's a uh, another in a long list of herald of point guards to to play for john calipari it started really at, at memphis when he would get uh darius washington uh Ty- tyreek evans dewan wagner Derek rose and then the list at kentucky is obviously ridiculous starting with that first kentucky class that included uh john wall so uh, if you haven't seen the story on robert dillingham's commitment to kentucky you can find it at cbssports.com david cobb wrote it i believe on friday let's get out of here i appreciate your time thank you for being here shouts to david downey shouts to chester south carolina shouts to hawk shouts to larnell and thank you guys for listening i own college basketball podcast uh, if you're not subscribed please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts including Apple Podcasts. While you're there, uh, five stars and leave a nice review. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them, and it needs to be reflected in the comments. And while you're doing that, 
I'll tell you, we will talk to you again uh, real, real soon later on this week. Till then, take care.